Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, welcome back to our Daily Jungle. We had a fun Thursday show because Sammy Watkins is a flat earth truther. The Jets claim that they aren't tanking and Jared Jones got some kryptonite in his hands. We had ourselves some fun with that one. Bernardrick McKinney of the Houston Texans called us from the locker room. The Pac-12 Network's Yogi Roth got us from the airport. And former Nebraska All-American Keo Craver called in on the listener line to react to Nebraska firing AD Sean Eichhorst. It was that kind of day. Alvy, roll it. <laughs> Thursday Night Football, Rams and 49ers. Actually, a pretty important matchup. Pretty important because it's a chance for the Rams to get on the right side of 500. And the 49ers have got to get on the win board altogether. The Rams are breaking out their all-gold color rush unis for the occasion. And Aaron Donald is going to play a bigger role. And at the same time, you've got the 49ers. While they're 0-2, they're clearly better than the mess that they were last year. And they've got a nasty defensive line in the making, which could be a problem tonight for Jared Goff. In other words, tonight is a very good measuring stick for both franchises to see exactly where they are in their respective rebuilds. It's early in the season, but it's still an important game for both teams nonetheless. However, all of that is overshadowed by the fact that this is the first game for the Rams since the news broke about wide receiver Sammy Watkins. That news, of course, is a report from Lindsay Theory of the Los Angeles Times that Sammy is a flat-earth truther. Yes, I said it. Actually, no. She tweeted it. Quote, Rams receiver Sammy Watkins is among those who believe the earth is flat. And then when some tool on Twitter tweeted, source, she responded, quote, Sammy Watkins. And if that wasn't enough, she then posted a video describing exactly how it all went down. All right, so I thought Sammy Watkins' take about the earth being flat was funny. Didn't realize it would set this social media world on fire today. Here's how it went down. In the locker room yesterday, interviewed Sammy about um, his targets. Not targeted a lot in uh, week two against Washington. Asking if he expects more targets this week, Thursday night against the 49ers. Of course, that was a conversation about football. Uh, And then the conversation with uh, another person in the locker room turned to more philosophical things. I said, Sammy, you're not one of those guys who thinks the earth is flat, are you? And he goes... Well, yeah, I do. And I said, Sammy. And he said, I I do. And I said, I'm tweeting this. And he said, okay. And I said, ask him a couple more times, like, Sammy, really? And he goes, yeah, okay. So I tweeted it. And here we are again. Here we are again. Somehow, for the third time in just over a year, Flat Earth Truthers is the topic once again on this show. Now, I was pretty well convinced that I could spend my entire career And never, ever once have to talk about whether or not the Earth is flat. You want to debate Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster? Fine. But the Flat Earth Society? Oh, hell no. You see, this is a whole different crew. Either they're faking their belief, and they're weird, or they're serious, and they're really weird. They're the kind of folks who say things like, intuition is the continuation of infinite mortality and then they think that's really deep and yet i've not only had to talk about flat earth truthers once 
That makes three times in 14 months. And it's a sports show. This is not conspiracy radio. You'll recall the first time was when that Canadian tenor went rogue during the national anthem at the All-Star game. And then we learned that not only was that goofball looking to remix O Canada, but he also posted stuff on Facebook, like a photo that appeared to show clouds behind the sun with the caption, the sun in front of clouds. It is impossible for the sun to be 93 million miles away and yet be stuck in between between clouds. Things like that make you go, hmm. And that's not all. Of course, there was the entire Kyrie flat earth saga, which may or may not have been a hoax. Nobody can really tell. And now we have Sammy Watkins dropping this truth bomb roughly 24 hours before Thursday night football. Sean McVay might be the youngest head coach in the NFL, but the dude is also one of the most prepared. And I guarantee that he's got a plan for how to get his team ready to bounce back from that gutting loss to Washington on a short week. He had strategies and tactics for how to get his guys ready to go on the road against a division rival in a battle of no-cal versus so-cal. And to make sure they're ready for their best when it's needed most. You get this win, you're 2-1, 1-0 in the division. And then you're coming back home with some time off to get ready for Dallas. I'm sure McVay is ready for all this. Except, how do you prepare for something like your star receiver saying that he believes in an idea that went out of fashion centuries ago? You see, there's no manual to take off the top shelf in a situation like that. How do you deal with a situation where one of your guys believes that humans can just fall off the edge of the world? We should be talking about the fact that Watkins was only targeted twice against Washington or that he's only been targeted seven times in total this season. We should be talking about Jared Goff and Sammy Watkins and their chemistry, not the flat earth physics. And yet here we are. Thanks for absolutely nothing, Sammy. Here we are for the third time in 14 months. And you know there's more where that came from. You know those three are not the only three. Yogi Roth is our guest. You just celebrated your birthday. You started it <laughs> off with a yoga session. How was the birthday and how was life? <laughs> the birthday's great, man. You know, you know how it is. You get a little older. You, I, you can't believe that it's going as fast as it can. I mean, last week I called the game, the UW game on the Pac-12 Network, and one of the receivers for Fresno State was the son of a teammate of mine, Latif Grimm. So <laughs> it was my first time I felt old in my entire career, man. So. Yeah, it's getting wild, but I'm having a freaking blast doing what we're doing. Always. Yogi Roth joining us. All right, so let's go back to Texas and USC on Saturday night. But actually, before we get there, you were on the USC staff for the previous meeting between Texas and USC at the Rose Bowl. When you think back, Yogi, to that night, what is the first thing you think about when you think back on that night? Well, it's probably the worst night of my career. You know, it's sports, to be honest, um, and also magical. I can remember being – I'm 23, okay? Imagine being in the press box. You know the game. It's – fourth and Vince Young and here we go and I'm watching it and we lose and the only thing I thought of was I got to sprint downstairs as quickly as I can to hear what Pete's going to say to the team um you know he had been a mentor of mine since I was about 19 my first year on the staff and and we were invincible I thought I was going to win every game my whole career as a coach heading in you know to that game I was walking around the stadium saying this is so unique we lose I run down and I'll never forget it man he goes we are not going to be defined by 19 seconds. That'll never happen. I told you guys, for us to lose, somebody has to play out of their mind, or we're going to have to kill ourselves with turnovers, and Vince Young went off. You're still champions. And I can remember that night, 
when Reggie and Matt and some of the players went in the media and they said, hey, we lost, but we still think we're the best team in the country. And they took a lot of slack for it, but, but I knew exactly what they were talking about. And for me, uh, as a guy who loved the psychology of the team, was leaning into what Pete was doing early in my career, um, I just wanted to hear what he would say when we lost. And for him, he put in so much that year. I mean, he and I were sleeping in the office a couple nights a week. I was doing it because I was just grinding. And he was doing it because he put so much into winning a third straight. And, you know, we actually talked about it the other day on the Season of Sand podcast. And he talked about how he put so much onus on doing something unique, winning three straight, and how he probably tried a little too hard um, that year. So for me, the memorable moment will always be at the end and, and what he said to the team because clearly it was, a, it was a crushing loss for us. But so quickly he was able to capitalize and, and really kind of capture the moment and say, hey, guys, don't let this thing define you. It's only 19 seconds. And I, I think guys really resonated with that. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 football analyst, joins us. Now, so, Yogi, when you're somebody who loves to compete – does a loss like that ever leave your system, or can you look back now and say, man, that's a game. That's a game, and that tells you how great ball really is. Yeah, I don't think the losses ever leave you, but I think as you get older, they transition. And it's not about you know what you could or couldn't have done, but it's, it's about what you learn from it. And, and you're right. I mean, how great is ball is, is a fun phrase because we laugh and can chuckle with it, but there's also a pageantry to it. And you're a guy like me. We've dedicated our lives to the transformational power of sport, and that's real. And it transformed whether it was a current SC or Texas player who was six years old when they watched that game and said, I want to play for one of those teams, or it was us who went through it who said, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with the team after a loss or deal with you know, something in my life when it's difficult. How am I going to be able to see a silver lining? And, and I've gone through that with myself as a player when we've lost tough games at Pitt to Miami, for instance, on the last play of the game, or when I was a coach or even as a broadcaster – um, I think just the, the way you look at it and the lens you look at tough, dramatic, catastrophic losses at the time, it just alters with every year of experience in life. And you know, now I can say I'm seasoned at 36, right, um, after a birthday. I, I do look at the, the loss a lot different than I did in the 24 hours after it when I was just absolutely at, at you know, a super low point for a young punk. You know? We're talking to Yogi Roth, sure. Now, Yogi, Sam Darnold never seems to get rattled in situations like that. You've known him for quite some time. In fact, going back to your work with him in Elite 11, now you do the Season of Sam podcast with him. How would you describe his personality, and then how is he able to remain so calm in pressure situations like the end of the Texas game? Yeah, it's a cool question. You know, I'm on this new word this year, and every year – uh, Trent and the Lilo staff, we dive into the position a layer deeper and a layer deeper, and we try to define it, you know, and try to seek different elements about the position, whether it's what does the it factor mean or what does a real quarterback need to do outside of being an elite competitor and accurate anticipatory passer. And I think it comes down to one word, and Sam defines this, and it's seek. I mean, he, I really believe that great thinkers, great leaders, great performers, great quarterbacks are seeking answers all the time. They're seeking more answers to the play that they're running, the concept, the history of it. They're seeking to understand defenses. And most importantly, they're seeking to understand themselves and how they operate in high-stakes environments. And you look at Sam, as you referenced, and I apologize for the noise, I'm at the airport, but you referenced Sam in the Texas game. When it gets louder, when, it, the, when the more noise, the brighter the lights, and the more people show up, he gets quieter, and it gets more simple, and it gets clearer. And when you watch him mechanically in those moments, he doesn't change. He plays at the same platform. His feet aren't clicking together in the pocket. He makes a jump throw, but his base is perfect the whole time when you break it down frame by frame. So for me, the carryover of who he is as a young man and how he was raised 
in modest, you know, in a modest home in Southern California, defined by being a great competitor, a multi-sport athlete, has carried over to now, even with this podcast, him seeking from people who've been there, who have performed and lived in high-stakes environments. He's trying to seek little nuggets, and, and that's him. That's what he did this offseason in trying to seek and understand defenses, and that's, I think, what you're seeing with this podcast, and we're seeing it play out every weekend in college football. And I'm not surprised by it, and he may not make every play, but the stages aren't too big for him, and he never alters. And his teammates would say that, his roommates would say that, and, uh, and I think he would define himself that way. Yo, let me hit you with this breaking story. Bruce Feldman just tweeted this, that Nebraska has fired its AD Sean Eichhorst and searched for his replacement to begin immediately. What's your reaction to that story? They fire their AD. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know of the other sports and kind of what's, if there's other things that have happened there. Um, I don't know if it's football-based or, or what the deal is there, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I've never been a fan of, you know, firings in midseason or early parts of the season, specifically when it's kind of football-related. Um, for, for obvious reasons, and the AD spot will be interesting because when does the, when do those searches usually happen? It's usually in the spring, you know, kind of when they hire somebody heading into the offseason. So I'm curious to kind of hear if there's anything else that shook out from that. But when you started that sentence, I thought you were going to say football coach, and I was right. like, "Whoa, there's no way that happened already." Um, and I hope to God, I, I think people need to pump the brakes on uh, the first few games of the season and all the hot seat talk. I mean, let teams develop. Every season is a lifetime. Let teams kind of grow and even mesh together. There's no preseason. They got to get through non-con. And I'm excited to watch the Tennessee. I'm excited to watch ASU. And we know the business. If you don't win, you're out. But let them at least develop versus creating all the, the hype around getting rid of guys. AD is out. Changes are in effect right now. We go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Keel Craver played ball at Nebraska back in the day. And he is actually calling in on the call line, the toll-free line. Keo, Keo, good morning. How are you doing? Show. How are you, Keo? I'm good. How's it going, man? So good, good. Keo, for those who don't know, Nebraska fans would know, but for those who don't know your background or when you played there, kind of lay it out for us. When did you play for Nebraska, and what are your thoughts on what happened today? Yes, sir. Um, I played at Nebraska in 1998 to 2001. Uh, it was the first four years of Frank Solage's era. Um you know, I enjoyed my time there. Great city, great football city, and uh, great people. And, um, you know, I think the main thing with this whole firing is it's definitely putting Coach Riley in a tough spot, but Coach Riley's just doing his job. You know, he, he, he didn't ask to be put in this position. He saw an opportunity that could help him and help his family, and he's a great leader of men, and so he, he did what any man would do. And, uh, you know, as far as the culture here in Nebraska, it, it wasn't broke. You know, and it was just one of those things that, you know, we had a new athletic director who wanted to change the regimen. And so, you know, they changed things that didn't necessarily need changing. And so, you know, you get a coach in here with Pelini. He's winning eight and nine games a year. And he was a great coach, but he wasn't necessarily a, a people person. And in Nebraska, you got to be for the people. In Nebraska, the community runs the runs the team. And so if you're not – if you don't have a pulse with the city and with the team, it's going to be real hard for people to, to get behind you. And I don't think, you know, I, of course, necessarily, you know, did his part in terms of getting in close with the community. So, you know, it, it was hard. It was a tough spot. I, I, I know Coach Riley's a good coach and a good person, but uh, it's, it's pretty bad around here right now. 
Keelan, let me ask you something. I appreciate your thoughts on that. That's well said. You know, I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that Tom Osborne's walking through that door. But why has it been so hard to get this program back to where it needs to be? I mean, it may never be where it was back in the day. But why has it yes, been sir. so challenging and so hard to get it back to where it needs to be? You know, it, when I was recruited, I, I when I was recruited by Nebraska, I, I knew they won a lot of football games, but I didn't know nothing about. I knew jack about the culture, and so, you know, when I accepted my scholarship and I came here, and the coaches who used to be players and the former players who eventually would come back and share their thoughts on the culture and the the personality and what they did to get to where they were at, you know. We got we got away from that. When I was in school, a lot of the older guys, Jason Peters, Grant Wistrom, you know, guys like Mike Rucker, Mike Brown, Ralph Brown, Amon Green, those boys would come back and they would encourage us and they would talk to us and they would uplift us. And so when you have that kind of accountability, you can't help but to go work hard. And so a lot of these guys they got playing now don't even know who we are or know anything about what we did or the, the, the past or the history. And so it's hard to carry on a legacy that you don't know much about. And I think, you know, that for a place like Nebraska, we that's what it's about. It's about respecting your, your history and your past and, and carrying on that torch. No, you don't want to duplicate it, but you definitely want to, you know, honor the people that got there before you. And I think that they kind of got away from that, and, and it shows. Now, Keo, I had never been to Nebraska before, and in the— You're missing out, buddy. No, no, I have been though, but I had not been, okay. <laughs> I had not been, I never left California to go there until the early '90s, and I went back there okay. in the heyday, and I did a show, and I met the Peter Boys and Jared Tomich, and they came on a show, and we hung out, and I saw first person up close what it's like in that town, Omaha and Lincoln and Nebraska fans yes, and the tradition you're talking about. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I'd never seen anything quite like that, and it's something to behold. L- last thought: What do you think about Mike Riley? Do you think that if given the time, and again, this means he's going to have less time, but if given the time, do you think that he is the guy to get this thing right and get it turned around? You know, you can't put all that pressure on one man. He's just one man. I think he's a great piece of the puzzle. Coach Riley actually coached me my rookie year. Um, in New Orleans when I was drafted he had just got let go by the Chargers and then he was getting ready to go before he went back to uh, Oregon State he had a one-year stint in New Orleans under Coach Haslett and he was my positions coach and I, I got to see firsthand what kind of leader he was and what kind of person he was and I have the utmost respect for him and I think that he's a great addition but but there are definitely other pieces he will need and so you know I think it's just more of him you know trial and error you know, definitely talking to people that have been in his position. You know, Coach Osborne is a great mentor for anyone in the state of Nebraska that is connected with football. Um, you know, even the former coaches and former players that have been here, you know, making sure you reach out to those guys and, 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 and get anything that you can. You know, one thing about a new job is you don't want to go in thinking that you know everything. You want to you wanna humble yourself and, and learn and soak in as much as you can. And and the beautiful thing about Lincoln is the people here know football. So you can you can go to a corner store, a gas station, get your runza or whatever and talk fo- football like legitimately with people. And so there's a lot to learn. They know they know the language here, they know football here, and they will support you if you care and you show that. And I think coach Riley is is doing that. But again, he's only one man. All right, so finally, do you live and work in Lincoln now and what do you do? Yes, sir. I live and work in Lincoln. Um, I do a lot of things. I actually during the day I work for a company that picks up donations for Lincoln's Children's Zoo. I also work with a company, RHD Nebraska, that helps adults with developmental disabilities. 
And and lastly, but definitely not least, is I, I wrote a book that just got published a couple weeks ago called I Peed and Forgot. And uh, I'm going to send you a copy, and I want you to definitely read it and take time. It's a short uh, short autobiography about my life written to my kids and in hopes of helping people and just kind of giving people encouragement to never quit in life. Keo Craver plays college ball in Nebraska. He was an All-American cornerback 1998-01. to Keo, it's great to have you on the show. Really nice to talk to you. Definitely send me that book. I want to check that Will out. Do. And great to have you on the show, man. Really nice to talk to Thank you. Thank you, man. You got a great show. I appreciate you for having me, man. We go to Gary in Detroit. It's good to have you. Gary, how are you? Hey, what up, Rome? What up, Gary? Hey, it's actually G-Man from Motown. Ah. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good No, bro, it's Gary from Detroit. Definitely Gary from Detroit. Gary, sorry about that, brother. Like, I could tell that you wanted to be on. I could tell that you wanted to be here. But a rule is a rule, and I cannot compromise my integrity. There will be no self-glossing. There will be no self-glossing. If at the end of that phone call, you were just killing it and just crushing it and just taking fools down, and at the end of that call, I were to say, for instance... Gary, no. I mean, my man, G-Man. G-Man, that was a kick-ass call. G-Man, you call anytime you want. That'd be different. Or if you made that phone call and the clones rose up on Twitter and were saying, that's lit. It's lit. G-Man, Rome. Let G-Man into the smack-off. Come on, Rome. That'd be different, too. But you cannot self-gloss. You can't let us know you're G-Man. We'll let you know you're G-Man. It doesn't matter what they call you at the office. It doesn't matter what they call you in your bowling league or your softball league or your fantasy league. It doesn't matter if you've been known as the G-Man since you were three years old. Not here, you're not. Here, you're still Gary in Detroit. However, you will be known for one more thing. You have joined a rather elite and infamous club. The Club of Self-Glossers. So you've got that going for you, which is nice. And Levi, nobody could ever take that from you. Levi and, the Trash Man. Ah, it's Ice Man. Ah, Loney Carter in Spokane. Ah, Bighorn from Windsor, Ontario. Ah, they call me the Falling Ball here in Tampa. Ah, Jay Dizzle. Ah, Manny Cheeseburger over here. Ah, the name is Shot Callers. Ah, the Clone Prophet. Ah, this is the Grump. Ah, this is the Grouch. Ah, Moldoggy in NorCal, East Bay to be exact. Ah, the Dougler. I'm from the city of Fad Diets and Yoga Pants. Ah, the Zookeeper. Oh, good gloss. Where did that come from? Uh, at a buddy's wedding. Ah, so you got to call me Rooster. Ah, Actually, this is Garbage Man, Brad. Ah, not Jonathan, it's Jip. Ah, My boys call me the Cracker Jack. Ah, G-Money. Ah. Actually, they call me Sexy Rexy from New Mexico. Ah. G-Man from Motown. Ah. Do not self-gloss. Have a take, don't suck. Do not self-gloss. They're the only rules on the program. How are you still violating them at this point? There's actually a movement by many of you for me to get the zookeeper on the podcast so I can let him finish what he started and explain how he came to that gloss. The podcast is only once a week. Let's hope that I never get to a time, a place, a time where I'm that lazy. I'm like, ah, screw it. Just go ahead and book the zookeeper. Let's let him on the podcast. Because, again, the podcast is for original programming, programming you can't get anywhere else. It would stand a reason that if I really cared why that guy was called the zookeeper, I'd have him on this show. 
I'd say, hey, Zookeeper, why don't you call back right now and explain to me where you got that incredible gloss? If I cared. So, no, he's not going to be on the podcast. Bernard Drake McKinney is my guest. The season opened up with a disappointing loss at home to Jacksonville, but you went on the road to Cincinnati on a short week. Week two is awfully early for anybody to say that it's a must-win game, but what was the mood among the players before that game? Did you feel like that was a must-win? Uh, I mean, we just uh, try to compete compete every week uh, in and out, just uh, put the first week behind us and just uh, prepare it on the next week, which was which was the Bengals, and just, just came out and just played ourselves a game football. You know, I mentioned the two sacks that you had in that Thursday night game. On the second one, you had lined up between J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless on a third and five, and for a moment it looked like Andy Dalton might have space to run for the first down, but then you closed on him quickly. Take us through the play. What did you see? Um, just, uh, I mean, we got a great pass rush, guys like Whit, uh, J.J. Um, so I was, I was just up in there, and I just hit a pass rush, and I just seen him. Uh, escape the pocket, and I just tried my best to just try to contain them and just get them down. You know, you just made the point that you've got guys that can rush the quarterback. I had Brian Arakpo from the Titans on yesterday, and we talked about how much he likes playing in a defense where there's a number of other guys who can get the quarterback, and you're part of a defense with J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, Whitney Merciless, and more. So how much fun is it to be in a situation where you know that if you get double teamed, somebody else is going to get the quarterback, and if they get double teamed, you're going to get the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, uh, we have a lot of uh, great pass rushers. Uh, offensive line have trouble trying to uh, trying to block guys like uh, with JD and uh, Clowney, and I just do my job, just uh, trying to trying to help add on to the rush and just uh, like they they call me the cleanup man. So whatever they, they do, all, they get inside of the, uh, the pocket and try to uh, cause a lot of havoc, and I just play off them and just uh, just run around and just just try to make the plays. Uh, I can get or whatever, just scramble and just try to pick up what they what they uh, left off of. So we're talking to the cleanup man, Bernard Trick McKinney. So Deshaun Watson had that amazing forty nine yard touchdown run right before halftime. What kind of a lift did that give your team? Uh, he gave us a huge boost or whatever. He's a, he's a great quarterback, very athletic quarterback. Uh, makes a lot of plays and uh, yeah, that's. I mean, we fed off of the offense. Uh, they made that big play and gave us a lot of more juice and a lot of more energy, and we just knew if, if we can keep uh, offense from scoring, we, we would win the game. Yeah, I'm curious. You, the rest of us watch something like that on TV, and it's like this holy crap moment. Something's truly special. Did that have that kind of an impact on you, or do you see that kind of thing in practice and are you just used to it? I mean, like I said, we, we know he's a, he's a, him and Kyler, he's a, he's a great athlete, uh, makes a lot of plays, and uh, yeah, me seeing it personally, uh, that uh, when we played the Bengals, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh crap, the whole time. And he, he made a huge play uh, running for the touchdown. Now you took your game to the next level last season. It seems like you found a new level this season. What kind of things did you work on in the off season to put you in the position you're in right now to have the start to to the year that you're having? Uh, just just trying to trying to get stronger. Just uh, trying to work on just getting off blocks uh, faster. Um, uh, flexibility, so I can, so I can uh, have a better chance in covering uh, the running backs or covering whoever I'm covering. But just, uh, just mostly just working on just getting stronger, so I can, uh, I can get off blocks very easily. Bernard McKinney, my man, are you in the locker room right no. now? Where are you? What you yeah, I'm in the locker room right now, sitting beside Whit, which is loud. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'm only knowing about that. Whit is kind of loud. Is he doing an interview or is he talking to the media? What's he doing? <laughs> 
No, nah, he's right beside irritating me. <laughs> Patrick McKinney joining us. We're going to play through it. All right, one, one AFC college scouting director told the Houston Chronicle over the summer, quote, I'd be very comfortable starting my defense with McKinney as my first pick. He's an absolute stud. He's so big and strong. But at the same time, he runs so well. If you could redo the draft, he'd be a first-rounder easily, end quote. I mean, that's really high praise and coming a long way from when you came out of high school and you weren't getting a lot of interest from D1 programs, what's it mean to hear that kind of praise and credit coming your way now? Oh, joy, my brother. I mean, it means a lot uh, hearing other people talk uh, good about me. But, I mean, I mean, God put me in this situation to go second round, and, and it, it worked out for me uh, to be with the Texans, and I'm, I'm happy where I'm at and uh, helping the, uh, this defense be great. Now, one of the things you've talked about also is you want to step up. You want to be more of a leader, more of a vocal leader. Your father always talked to you about being that guy, a vocal leader, when you were growing up. What were the types of things that he talked to you about? I mean, he just enforced me. I mean, me coming up uh, playing football and basketball, I mean, first he told me I had to follow before I lived. Uh, I lived in ninth grade, uh, wanted to be the starting quarterback, and I, I had to be the tight end or whatever, so I had to follow, and then – and I'm getting my shot playing quarterback, and that's my shot. And he just just forcing me every day just to lead and just don't try to do too much and just, you know, get everybody going. Cowboys are always in the news. Always. There's always something going on because of the guys they have and most of all because of the owner they have. And Jerry Jones likes it that way. As long as you're looking at them and talking about them, he almost doesn't even care what you're saying as long as you're looking at them and talking about them. And long before old Jer slipped into a gold jacket last month in Canton, he used to rock the Arkansas Razorbacks gamer every Saturday. He anchored their offensive line way back in the 60s. But the Razorbacks have not forgotten. Maybe it was the 1964 National Championship team that he co-captained. Maybe it's all the fat checks that he scratches as a noted mega donor. Whatever it is. The Razorbacks have not forgotten, and they're set to honor Jarrah this weekend when they take on Texas A&M in a game that's going to be played, where else, but Jerry World in Dallas. So the Razorbacks are ready. They've designed a uniform and helmet combination for Saturday, and it looks just like the Dallas Cowboys scheme. It's a nod to Jarrah and his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So yesterday... Jarrah got his first look at the Razorbacks helmets, which are modeled after the Cowboys. And then he dropped, even for him, an analogy for the ages. When I think of uh, uh, actually putting a helmet on like this, uh, I think of the days that I'd put that Razorback helmet on, and it just made me Superman. It was like Crep Night. And uh, so, uh, without getting emotional, if I guess uh, at my age, if I put this thing on, I might run the ball a little bit out there. <laughs> wow. First off, I love the music that the Razorback social media team dropped under Jarrah. And I love their caption also. When they posted that on Twitter, they went with just one word. Quote, chills. They went with that. They did. Chills. I mean, listen to that again. We'll get to the analogy in a minute. 
but listen to the music and listen to how choked up he gets thinking about running onto the field back in the 60s with the Razorbacks. When I think of uh, uh, actually putting a helmet on like this, uh, I think of the days that I'd put that Razorback helmet on and it just made me Superman. It was like crep night. And uh, so uh, without getting emotional, uh, if I guess uh, at my age, if I put this thing on, I might run the ball a little bit out there. <laughs> that is incredible. I put this helmet on and I felt like Superman. It's like Kryptonite. It made me Superman. It was like Kryptonite. It's like Kryptonite. I felt like Superman. It's like Kryptonite. Oh, I'm getting choked up here thinking about Kryptonite and being Superman. Let me get this straight. You're Superman, and the helmet is Kryptonite. You're Superman, and the helmet's Kryptonite. Kryptonite. So the helmet is the one thing in the world that can kill you? You're the strongest, baddest man in the world, and there's nothing that can take you down except your helmet because it's Kryptonite. Kryptonite. So the helmet's poison. The helmet is green poison. It's kryptonite. Kryptonite. The helmet. The helmet doesn't protect you. The helmet doesn't make you bad. The helmet takes away your powers because it's kryptonite. Kryptonite. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, Jer, my man, you have butchered some analogies in the past, but nothing quite like the kryptonite. Kryptonite. Analogy. I'm not sure you could have made a worse analogy. Like, I feel like Eddie Lacy, and this helmet is China food. That would have been better than, I put this helmet on and it feels like Kryptonite. Kryptonite. I feel like the Beatles, and this helmet is Yoko Ono, would not have been as bad. I feel like Tiger Woods, and this helmet is My Life After 2008, is less egregious than this. W-X-Y-N-Z. Okay, sir, what I want you to do is go ahead and place your hands behind your back, okay? Yeah, all right, sir. Can I get you to spell Kryptonite? Kryptonite. K-Z night. Good night, officer. I'm not sure I've heard anybody flub anything that badly since Jonathan Bernier was asked about what Nelson Mandela meant back to him in 2014. Obviously, Nelson Mandela, one of the most significant historical figures of the, of the 20th century. What, what knowledge or awareness did you have of, of him growing up, or when did you learn of him? Well, obviously, growing up, he's one of the, the most known athletes uh, in the world, and uh, a lot of impact in any kind of sport that he did. And uh, that I, you know, even playing hockey, uh, everyone knows him, right? From from being the type of person that he was off the ice and, and on the ice, and so unfortunate that he passed away a year ago but um, you know he, he changed a lot uh, while he was with us and he's uh, he's a tremendous guy Kryptonite <laughs> He should have just gone with when I think of Nelson Mandela I think of Kryptonite Kryptonite He was amazing on and off the ice Hey Jera back to you for a minute stick to the script or just lean on the analogies that you know best. You know, like circumcising a mosquito. You don't have to spend a lot of time going over and getting 
uh, uh, kind of circumcising the mosquito. Uh, you don't have to do that. Kryptonite. When he went with that kryptonite analogy, he must have felt as low as a crippled cricket's ass. Kryptonite. Then again, say what you want about this guy. At 74, he owns the most valuable franchise in sports. And most of all, he is still one of the all-time best quotes in sports. Stay hot, Jarra. Stay hot, Jarra. Some of my guys say, my uh, son say in our family, anytime anything happens that's not hot, either one of my sons will blast me or each other with, stay hot, kid. Logan spills some milk. Stay hot, kid. If Jake bumps into something, stay hot, kid. If I drop something, stay hot, kid. If Jerry goes, I put that helmet on, it's like, Crip night. Crip night. Stay hot, kid. Stay hot, Jera. Crip night. How do you screw that up? I put that helmet on, and I feel like Superman. It's like Crip night. Made me Superman. It was like Crip night. hard not to get choked up about this. Hey, Jerry, see, that's the thing about Superman. He's indestructible. He's unstoppable. He's the strongest man in the world. The only thing that can stop him is Kryptonite. Kryptonite. Yet you put on that helmet and you feel like Superman, and it's like Kryptonite. Kryptonite. Stay hot, Jera. Stay hot. That did not go well, did it? one 8686 Lions fans are still coming in after a big win on Monday night. And I've got no problem with that. Dear Jim, is Jera an NFL owner or a Civil War general? What was up with that music? Signed Perry on Wilshire and Bundy. When I think of uh, uh, actually putting a helmet on like this, uh, I think of the days that I'd put that Razorback helmet on, and it just made me Superman. It was like crep night. Twitter! At One Card Monty tweets, If Jerry goes crazy now, will you still call him Superman? Sign three doors down. Crep night. Hey, Alvy, get ready. <laughs> If Jerry goes crazy now, will you still call him Superman? Sign three doors down. Hey, Avi, let me put it to you one more way, a different way. If Jerry goes crazy now, will you still call him Superman? Sign three doors down. Kryptonite. All right, all right, that's enough. <laughs> hey, one more thing, though. This tweet. If Jerry goes <laughs> if Jerry goes crazy now, will you still call him Superman? Sign three doors down. Good job, Monty. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, one of you does elevate the program. That totally came from the show. Totally organic. We didn't do that. That's funny. That really made me laugh. If Jerry goes crazy now, will you still call him Superman? Sign three doors down. Good job, Monty. Crip night. Crip night. 
You know it's a good tweet if I'll read it five times. If Jerry goes crazy now, we still call him Superman. Sign three doors down. That makes six. Crip night. Crip night. Well done. Really well done, Monty. Best tweet of the week, Monty. Hey, didn't I say earlier today that we're getting a lot of reactions suddenly from Massachusetts and Boston? Monty in Boston with my favorite tweet in a long time. Follow him at one card Monty. You see, I have no problem getting behind you or building up your brand or throwing my support behind you. Like I said, if it's a really good tweet, I'll read it on the air. If it's an exceptional tweet, I'll read it on the air, and then I'll retweet it. The best tweet ever, I'll read seven times. If Jerry goes crazy now, will you still call him Superman? Sign three doors down. Crip night. As always, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that. Thank you for downloading the Jim Rohn Podcast, episode four as well. We had Dirk Nowitzki and William McGinnis. It's out right now if you have not found it yet, and it's strong. Speaking of strong, finish the week strong. Check back tomorrow for more. See you then. We're out.